the Pew Bible, we're going to be on page 877. I was studying this week, and I've got this book. It's like 800 pages, and it's just about the parables of Jesus. It's by a guy named Klein Snodgrass, which is the greatest name. But his first sentence when he's talking about this parable is, this parable is enough to make any interpreter go weak in the knees. I consider it among the most difficult parables of all. So that's fun. (laughs) So this year, this pandemic we've been going on through has been a lot of a lot of negative things, right? There's just been a whole list of just awful stuff that's happened this year. But I think one silver lining in this season is that homeschooling is cool, finally. Uh, I homeschooled, my family homeschooled uh, starting in fifth grade. So it, early on in the homeschool uh, culture in the 90s. And uh, I thought it was cool. Not many other people thought it was cool. We didn't have prom when when we homeschooled because, you know, blue and pink weren't supposed to mix. And um, so we we did something else. We did something called a formal dinner. And so we'd, we'd get all dressed up and we'd have this kind of awkward dinner gathering with all of my teenage friends and acquaintances in our homeschool community in North Idaho. Actually, one of those formal dinners actually took place in the basement of this building. Um, It was just as weird down there then as it is now. (laughs) But for a couple years, we had this formal dinner, and and there was this discussion of like, okay, we're going to have dinner, then what happens? And for some reason, and I don't know how this happened, but for some reason, the entire formal dinner crowd got invited to my house. We had, I mean, we had a cool house. Uh, We had a full basement. We had these big arcade games, Pac-Man and Tron and Asteroids. We had a pool table and a great sound system. And all these kids would come over to our house after the formal dinner. And I came to the realization that, like, Three of these people are actually my friends, and there's like 30 other people in here that would never, ever hang out with me if it wasn't for all the cool stuff in my house. And I didn't care. All the cool kids were at my house. But Jesus is telling a story today that's got a similar feel to it. There's a party going on, and there's going to be some people at the party that aren't really there because they like the person that's throwing the party. And it's a little, it's a little dark. Jesus is a little dark here. So we're, gonna, we're just going to walk through this section by section. If you remember, the, Jesus is, is living the last week of his life on earth. He's going to be crucified at the end of this week. And he's debating with the religious leaders in Jerusalem. And they're in the process of questioning him and, and uh, putting together a plan to reject him, to have him brought before the Roman authorities and crucified. And so Jesus tells them another story, a parable, and he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to summon those invited to the banquet, but they didn't 
want to come. Again, he sent out other servants and said, tell those who are invited, see, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. So first of all, like most of Jesus' parables, he's not just making this up from scratch. He's drawing on a long tradition of Jewish thought that would have said that a great banquet is a metaphor for the kingdom of God. Earlier in Matthew, if you remember in chapter 8, he said people will come from all the nations to sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob at the great banquet in the kingdom of God. And all of these um, Jewish Hebrew people who are seeped in the Old Testament would have gone, oh, a banquet. We're talking about the end of the age. We're talking about the time when God brings all things together and makes all the wrongs right, and we all sit down and we feast and we party. And so this is the context that he wants us to get in our heads. He says it's like a wedding. And I, I've been to enough weddings that when you ask someone when does this wedding start? What's the answer? It starts when it starts, right? It starts when the bride is ready to go down the aisle. It starts when things are together. It, the invitation might say 11, but it's not starting at 11. It's going to start when it starts. And things were even crazier with the timetable of a Jewish wedding. See, in a Jewish wedding, a man would desire to marry a woman and would get permission of both of their families and they'd work out the arrangements and then the man would go home and he would work. He would work on the home that he was going to bring his bride to and the person that decided when it was time for the wedding was the father. And the father said, okay, now you can go get your bride. And so then the groom would go to the bride's home and pick her up and there would be this feast. And so nobody really knew when the wedding was going to start until the father of the bride or the father of the groom said, it's time. And so this is what's happening. The king, this is a big wedding. This is a royal wedding. The king says, it's time for the wedding of my son. And he sends his servants to all of these people that had been invited. And these people aren't just random people. These are people that have RSVP'd. They've already said, I want to go to this wedding. But then they decide they don't want to come. And it's almost like the king thinks, well, maybe it's a misunderstanding. Let's, let's send out the servants again to say, no, really, it's time for the wedding. He says, my, my, my oxen and my fatted cattle have been slaughtered and everything is ready. See, the king spent a lot of money. He spent a lot of his time and energy preparing this banquet based on how many people were going to come. They'd all RSVP'd, and they said they were going to be there, and so they prepared enough food for this guest list. And now the guests are saying, we don't really want to come. And why don't they want to come? Look at verse 5. They paid no attention and went away, one to his own farm and another to his business. Some of these people that had been invited to this wedding, they just have better things to do. They got to they gotta work on their business. They got to check on the farm. It's just not a real big priority for them to go to this wedding. And then in verse 6, the rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. So some of these, these invited guests, they respond to the messenger with violence. They don't want to be bothered by this 
wedding and all of the responsibilities of going to this gathering, and they're just going to react out of their emotions, and they commit violence against the servants. See, what's going on here is, is it's not just like a simple dinner invitation. Hey, you want to go get some food? No, I can't make it today. I mean, that, that, that's not the stakes here. The stakes are much higher than that. These people have professed faithfulness to the king. They are the king's subjects. They have uh, submitted to honoring the king and his son by attending his son's wedding. And now, when it's come time to act on that proposed faithfulness, to act on their word, they have more important things to do. They don't have time for the king. And the Jesus says something pretty crazy in verse 7. He says, then the king was enraged, and he sent out his troops, and he killed those murderers and burned down their city. And I read that, and I go, whoa, that's a little bit of an overreaction, isn't it? But Jesus, as, as usual, is using hyperbole. He's, he's exaggerating to make a point. The point is, is this, that these Guests of the king have brought shame upon the king, the son, and the whole kingdom by snubbing the wedding of the son. And it's possible that what Jesus has in mind is the fact that just a few years from now, and Jesus is going to get more explicit in the coming chapters, Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. The people that he's speaking to, the religious leaders that live in this city, are going to come to the fate of the men in this parable. The Romans are going to come and they're going to attack the city and they're going to burn down the temple and they're going to destroy it because they refused to see their coming king. Verse 8, then he told his servants, the banquet is ready but those who were invited were not worthy. Go then to where the roads exit the city and invite everyone you find to the banquet. So those servants went out on the roads and gathered everyone they found, both evil and good. The wedding banquet was filled with guests. So then the the king changes his strategy. He he switches from this, this small group of invited guests that have snubbed him and shamed him and are not worthy to come to the feast And he says, okay, just go out and invite everyone you find to the wedding. Anyone can come. The invitation to the kingdom, to the feast, is indiscriminately offered to anyone that will come. And lots of people do. The wedding banquet is filled. Jesus says some of them are good and some of them are bad. Some people you'd want to be at your wedding. Some people maybe not so much. It's kind of like every wedding probably. And that seems like that should be the end of the story, right? The religious leaders in Jerusalem, we've, we've read Jesus has had just this scathing critique of them. They have abdicated their responsibilities. They are not leading the people well. They have led the Jewish people astray, and the consequences of that are dire. And we've talked about that. And what's going to happen now, because the Jewish people have failed to see their Messiah, Jesus is going to go to the cross. 
He's going to rise from the dead, and he's going to open the door to the Jewish nation, but also to every other nation, for every other people to come and be a part of the kingdom of God. It's this amazing message of good news that whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you've done, whether you're good or whether you're bad, you're invited to be part of the kingdom. But Jesus doesn't stop his story there. In verse 11, when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed for a wedding. And so he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. So there's all these people in this banquet hall, and one of them is not dressed appropriately. Um, the customs of the Jewish people at this time would have mandated that you would wear clean white clothes to a wedding. It wasn't special. It wasn't a tuxedo. It was just something nice, something clean, something white, and this is something that everyone would have probably had access to. We kind of assume maybe that like they pulled all these people off the streets and they wouldn't have had time to change, but the story doesn't say that. And the king, obviously, he expects that everyone would have been dressed appropriately. The movie Ferris Bueller's uh, Day Off, there's a scene when they go to a restaurant, if you remember this. Uh, it's a fancy restaurant. There's a bunch of, like, business meetings happening. And uh, they're three teenagers, and they're dressed like teenagers in the 80s. And, and they want to get a table at this restaurant. And so Ferris waits till the maitre d' walks off, and then he kind of looks on the reservation list, and he finds a reservation for three because there's three in their party. And the maitre d' comes back and he says, yeah, I have a reservation for three for Abe Froman. And the maitre d' goes, you're Abe Froman, the sausage king of Chicago? And he goes, yeah, I am. And there's this back and forth. And he finally outsmarts the maitre d' and they get to sit at the restaurant. But the whole reason that this is funny is because these three teenagers obviously look like they don't belong here. The maitre d' is dressed to the nines. All of the people sitting at the tables are wearing their best clothes. And these kids are wearing a leather jacket and jeans. And while Ferris Bueller is conniving enough to work his way into this situation, the man in Jesus' story He's speechless. It's obvious to the king that he's not prepared for this event. He is not supposed to be here. And he says, well, how did you get in here without being properly dressed? And the man has nothing to say. He has no argument. He is caught. Because, see, to go to a wedding, not dressed for a wedding, says that you don't really care about the wedding. You don't really care about the honor you're bringing to the bride and the groom, to the wedding party, to the king. Remember, this is a big deal wedding. You're not really here to honor the king. You're not really here to participate in the celebration. You're just here for hors d'oeuvres. You're just here for whatever you can get out of it. And he's 
He's bringing shame to the king by actively broadcasting with his clothing that this is not important to me. This event doesn't matter to me. I am not going to change who I am so that I can honor and respect what's going on here. I worked for the Croc Center for about nine years, and about a year into my job there, I kind of became like junior management. And we'd have these meetings where way too many people got in the room and talked for way too long about things that didn't matter. And, um, but I'm not bitter. Um, <laughs> and we were having this event. And I don't even remember what the event was, but some big fancy people were coming. And it was an evening event, and there was going to be like fancy food and fancy music and all this stuff. And, and my boss, the executive director of the Salvation Army Croc Center, said, hey, everybody, I want the dress code needs to be business casual. Guys, you need to wear slacks, jacket, um, whatever that means for the ladies. And... Everybody in the room heard that. And then we, when the day of the event came, for some reason, I, I, I just didn't feel like that was right for me. I wasn't going to wear slacks. I don't wear slacks. I'm going to wear jeans. I mean, they're nice jeans. I'm going to wear jeans. It's who I am. Stupid. Stupid rule. That's right. It's rebellion. It's sin. And the thing was, about halfway through the night, one of the other managers, she called me out on it. She said, I, th I thought we weren't supposed to wear jeans tonight. And I felt so convicted that I had just flagrantly disobeyed my boss. And the thing was, he didn't notice. All the big shot fancy people, they didn't notice, but my peers, they noticed, and what they understood was, Zach doesn't really care about this place. Zach doesn't really care about our leadership. Zach doesn't really care about what we're trying to do here. And he's showing it by refusing the dress code. And so I had to send an email to, like, everybody, and I just apologized, and it was super embarrassing. Um, but I learned something about that to wear slacks when I'm told. <laughs> but in a, in a way that's like a thousand times more amplified in this story, the king is being actively shamed by this man who is at the wedding, wants to be a part of the feast, but doesn't care about what's really going on. And then the king told the attendants, Tie him up hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is one of those verses that you just wish Jesus hadn't said. Like, that's so heavy. As, as modern people, we, we, we read through this and we go like, oh, wow, what is that about? Can we skip that part? We can't. See, Jesus has made it clear that those, those that were invited to the wedding and they rejected, there was, 
There was no good course of action that they could have followed other than that. And the, the king sent his troops and burned down their city. But the fate of this man who wants to, you know, eat as much shrimp scampi as he can, but doesn't really care about the king, doesn't really care about the kingdom, he has no place in it. He gets kicked out of the wedding. And Jesus uses these words, the outer darkness, where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And this is imagery that evokes something that he'll, some things that he'll say more clearly in different places of hell. This, this idea that, that if at the end of the age you don't want to participate in the kingdom of God, there is no other place for you. You are removed from the kingdom the idea of weeping is, is, is an idea that comes from the Old Testament, and it speaks of regret. This man is removed from the kingdom and is overwhelmed by the fact that, man, I should have done it differently. I should have paid attention. I should have cared. And gnashing of teeth, sometimes we think that gnashing of teeth means pain, but that's not what it means in the, in the Scriptures. It means anger. We read in several places in the Old Testament that, People will walk by a scene and they will gnash their teeth because they're disgusted and they're angry with what they see. And so what happens to this man is he may be weeping in that he screwed up, he did it wrong, but this quickly turns to, I hate the king. I despise, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have been kicked out of this party and I am angry. And throughout the teachings of Jesus in the New Testament, we see that there is this regret followed by anger and the wages of sin ultimately is death. If we don't want to be a part of the kingdom, there is no place for us. And then Jesus says, many are invited, but few are chosen. This is a, this is a Jewish idiom, the many means all. What Jesus is saying here is everyone is invited. but only the ones that choose to accept the invitation and accept the kingdom get chosen. So that's the parable. It's directed specifically at the religious leaders in Jerusalem. And like I said last week, we could just be like, all right, good thing I'm not them. But what does this have to do with us? How do we fit into this story? And the first question that I would have for us is, is, have you accepted the invitation? The invitation to be part of the kingdom of God goes out to all of us. There's no precondition. There's no special test. You don't have to be a certain type of person. God, in his grace, gives us the gift. Come, be a part of the party. But some of the guests in this story, they're just too busy to care. And I wonder if sometimes that's the heart that we have. Maybe we're, we're here this morning or we're watching on the stream and, and we're just ignoring the call of God because we're just too busy. I mean, work is hard and the kids are crazy and, and there's so many activities to do. And you know, it's summer I hear that all the time. You know, we haven't been to church in like eight months because, you know, it's summer. What does that mean? When it's a better season, we'll take this 
invitation seriously. And the thing is, is we've all been given the same gift 24 hours every day. And we all choose what to pour our lives into based on what we think is important. And I am guilty so often of doing hours and hours and hours of stupid things. And then at the end of the day, I look back and go, I have just wasted my day or my week or my year because I just did stupid things when I could have made better choices, when I could have been accepting the invitation to participate in the kingdom of God. Have we accepted the invitation to the kingdom? And then number two, are, are we properly dressed? We can't, we can't have God's kingdom on our own terms. We want to. We want to accept the invitation, say, yeah, I want to be a Christian. I want to be blessed. I want to go to heaven. I want everything that you have for me, but I don't really want to just follow you, and I want to submit to your rules, and I don't really want to have my character transformed into a certain kind of person that looks like Jesus. That sounds hard. We are invited by grace, but that invitation brings with it requirements to allow the kingdom of God to change us. And the question is deep down, who are you? Are you genuinely excited about God? Are you genuinely interested in pursuing Jesus with your life? Or are you just trying to reap the pleasures of being at a party? Jesus says it's not enough to wear the right label, to just, you know, I was invited to this party. That's great. Everybody's been invited to this party. The nature of the party should shape the nature of the party goer. If you're invited to the wedding, you should look like you belong there. I want to read you Ephesians chapter 4. Starting in verse 17, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. It's a big, multicultural church in a large metropolitan city. And he says, therefore, because of a bunch of stuff that you should read later because it's amazing, I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer live as the Gentiles live in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with the desire for more and more. But that is not how you came to know Christ, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus here it is, to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. Therefore, putting away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. Let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he is to do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You are sealed by him for the day of redemption. 
Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Did you hear what Paul said there? He said, there's some clothes you need to take off, and there's some other clothes you need to put on. And then he said, this is what that looks like. There is a certain kind of person that is equipped for the kingdom of God. There's a certain kind of person that belongs in the kingdom of God. And the good news is that's every person, right? The invitation goes out to everyone, but then the expectation is if you're going to be a part of this party, you're going to let your life be shaped by the kingdom. And it's hard, and it's work, and it's a process, and it goes by day by day, and we we take two steps forward and one step back. But are we people that have made the choice to put on the clothes of the kingdom, to look like Paul says, this is what Jesus' people look like. We're honest. We don't steal. We don't stay angry. We forgive. We love people. During my time working for the Salvation Army, I have so many Salvation Army stories today. I was invited to what's called a Congress. It's a convention in Pasadena, California. And there were thousands of Salvation Army church members there. And one of the distinctives of the Salvation Army is members of the church and their leaders wear a uniform. Kind of looks like a pilot's uniform, but it's, it's black slacks and a, and a blazer, and there's these uh, lapel epaulets and a hat sometimes and a tie. It's, it's, it's pretty sharp. And it's, it's how you easily identify a Salvationist. You, 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 you know that this person is a member of the Salvation Army Church because of this uniform. So we went to this, this conference in Pasadena, and, and we were, I was a part of a group of super cool kids from Coeur d'Alene that were not going to wear the uniform, um, especially in like 80-degree weather in California. And we met up with some friends down there who are also super cool kids from a different uh, community center who were not going to wear the uniform. And there's about 10 of us just hanging out in the morning, having coffee, and there's this like sea of black uniforms. I mean, I think there were like 3,000 people there. And the huge majority were people wearing this identical uniform. And it just so happens that me and one of my friends from California that had met at this event both shop at Target and both bought the same T-shirt and were both wearing it that day. And we had... Dozens of people wearing the uniform walk by and go, hey, you guys are twins. And I thought, you're, there's like 3,000 of you people and you're all wearing the same uniform and yet you see two guys wearing the same t-shirt and we stick out. Because our clothing was a symbol that we were not bought in to what was going on. We hadn't fully committed to the priorities of the organization because we weren't going to wear the uniform. Our priorities were different. We wanted to look cool in our sweet Target shirt.
Some of us, we know people who we look at them and we go, this person looks like Jesus. This person is being shaped by the kingdom of God. And deep down, maybe we're going, and I don't know that I am. I'm not like that. I don't have those priorities. I don't have those impulses. And we don't, we don't have any excuse for that. God's grace is so huge, he invites all of us to be in, and he doesn't just say, hey, come to the wedding and figure it out. He gives us his Holy Spirit. He gives us everything that we need to become more and more fit for the kingdom of God. And again, it takes time. It takes years. And we're never going to completely get it done until we actually arrive there. But are we people that have taken off the old self and have put on the new self? And then finally, we have been called. Jesus says this. We are called. Everyone is called. And not everyone is chosen. I believe that Every single person in the history of the world has been given an opportunity to be part of the kingdom of God. I just believe, I don't have a verse for that, but knowing who Jesus is, knowing the God that I serve, I just, I just believe that that's true, that there is an opportunity for everyone to be a part of the kingdom. And we can ignore the invitation we can say, I've got more important things to do. Or we can try to use the invitation for our own benefit. We can try to get into the party and, and just kind of exploit it. Or we can accept the invitation and bring honor to the king and his son by accepting the kingdom of God's influence on us. And only one of those options leads to life. The other two result in regret and anger, followed by death. And this is a hard word from Jesus this morning. We, we all love the passages where Jesus just says to love people and be kind and stuff. And, and then he says something like this, and we go like, man, does, does that have to be in the Bible? But listen to what N.T. Wright says about this story. The point of the story is that Jesus is telling the truth, the truth that political and religious leaders often like to hide. The truth that God's kingdom is a kingdom on which love and justice and truth and mercy and holiness reign unhindered. They are the clothes you need to wear for the wedding. And if you refuse to put them on, you are saying you don't want to stay at the party. That is the reality. And if we don't have the courage to say so, we are deceiving ourselves and everyone who listens to us. So the question for all of us is, do we want to be a part of the party? Do we want to stay at the party? Do we want to have everlasting life in the kingdom of God? And if that's yes, which I would hope that it would be, what, what do we do about that? And I just want to give you a couple practical things that we can do to put off the old garment and put on the new. We need to be people that pursue God in prayer and through his word. There's a great book over in the library called How to Pray. If you're like, I don't know how to pray, I don't really have a relationship with God, read it, get the audio book, listen to it, it's great. Uh, John mentioned our Thursday night prayer nights. 
if you, if you don't know how to pray, come to that and just listen to other people pray. There are some good praying people that you could learn from. But start to cultivate a relationship where you speak to and listen to God. And then secondly, enlist the community. We are, we are so afraid to bring other people into the hard parts of our lives. We come to church and we think that, that nobody can know the dark spots in my heart. But the whole reason that we exist is to get at those dark spots together. Paul says in Ephesians that, that we are people that speak truth to one another. Do you have people in your life that can speak truth to you, that can say, hey man, that was dumb. You need to apologize to your wife for that. Hey, I see this going on in your daily rhythms. Maybe you should change that. Have you ever prayed about doing this differently? Because I wonder sometimes if that's exactly what God would have for you. Do you have people like that? Because if you don't, you need them. Forgive one another. Paul says in Ephesians, we are people that forgive because Jesus forgave us. And so often in the church, we are people that get angered and get hurt, and then we just leave and find a different church. Or maybe we just don't go back to church. How many of us have the story that's like, I was a part of a church and I got hurt, and then for like 15 or 20 years or whatever, I didn't do anything, and then I finally decided to re-engage with the community of God. Practice forgiving people. Number three, share resources. Again, back to the Ephesians passage. Paul says that we are people who are generous. We have been given much, and we should look for opportunities to give things away to others. These, are the, these, aren't, these aren't like a list of rules that God says we have, a, have to follow. This is a lifestyle, a kind of human being that He calls us to be. And He equips us to be it through His Spirit. And the call from Jesus this morning is to take seriously my responsibility to be dressed appropriately for the party. And that's the thing, that's the beautiful thing is it's a party. Like to walk out of here this morning and be like, I'm not measuring up, I'm not good enough. Don't, don't hear that. Hear, it's a party. I want to be ready for the party. I want to be dressed for the party because it's going to be great. And trust in Christ to do that in you. We are going to celebrate communion. We do it every week. Jesus said, whenever you do this, whenever you take the bread, whenever you take the cup, remember me. Remember the work that I've done for you. Jesus went to the cross he bore our sins, all of the shame, all of the guilt, all of the fear that we live with. He took that on himself and he removed it from us. Then he rose from the dead, defeated death, and allows us entrance into the kingdom of God. And so as we remember him, as we remember his work, remember this. Jesus said at a small party where he instituted this. He said, I'm not going to drink this cup until I drink it again with all of you in the kingdom of God. See, Jesus is looking forward to this party. 
He's looking forward to this time when we all gather together at that wedding feast. He, the son, and his people, his bride, the book of Revelation says, and we celebrate one another, and we celebrate the kingdom of God, and we eat and drink and rejoice together. And that was what was on his heart that night when he was preparing to go to his own death, when just a little bit later he's going to be in the garden sweating drops of blood because of the anxiety of the moment. Just before then, he was saying, I can't wait to have this party with you guys someday. I want to be there. I want all of us to be there. I want to celebrate the kingdom of God forever. And I have the opportunity right now to get dressed for the wedding. And by the grace of God, we all do because Jesus gave us this warning. Hey, make sure you're dressed for the wedding. So as we close, as the band comes up, as we sing, uh, as we take communion, come down, get the communion, take it back to your seat, just reflect on who you are. Are you someone that's accepted the invitation? Are you someone that's preparing themselves for the kingdom? Or, or is this just something that you're too busy for? Something that's not worth the effort? My hope and my prayer is that we would all be people that are preparing for the kingdom of God and the party at the wedding supper of the Lamb. Let's pray. You've been listening to the Revelation Church Coeur d'Alene podcast. Learn more about Revelation Church at revelationcda.com.